from CSG Studios high above the streets of beautiful Denver, Colorado, you're listening to the Colorado Sports Guys. They talk about sports and stuff. And now your hosts, Jeff Morton, Ross Martin, and Nate Timmons. Oh, yeah. Welcome on in to the CSG, Nikola Jokic, and Jamal Murray Love Cast. Ross, horned rim glasses Martin is out on assignment. Grooving his way from Thornton, it's the Funky Beats King, Jeff Morton. What's up, everybody? And joining us today with his bad self is Paul Smooth Jazz Clee of the Colorado Springs Gazette. Wow. I don't know what I got into today, guys. Oh, you got in to the love cast. The love cast. Welcome on in, gentlemen. I do love Beats' shirt right now. I know what I love. Denver Stiffs. Denver Stiffs. Yeah. I've been taking... Do you guys want to hear something? Oh, am I not supposed to be talking? No, no you go ahead. Good. Okay. <laughs> so, do you know that I got more, more of my nuggets fixed from Denver Stiffs when I was living outside the state of Colorado than anywhere else? Oh, yeah. That was one of my bookmarks, and I had like four. And the other were all Gonzaga highlights. That was and back, Stiffs. That was back when you That's and why, I still wrote. That's why Stiffs was, was yeah. booming. And it's still Never booming. Never missed a report from the Stiffs. <laughs> I think, I mean, at least according to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, Stiffs is the, the biggest and best Nuggets blog out there still. It's really running now with uh, the cast of writers they have and the amount of stories those guys churn out. For yeah. sure. It's big time. It's uh, it's uh, it's good to see, and uh, I re- both Nate and I appreciate you reading us uh, way back when, when, way back before we even knew each other. How yeah, about that? I know. Now, yeah. we're, now we're besties. I know, right? And now it's uh, whenever Paul Clee writes, I say it's. What's my saying? I have. It's gotta. It's must see if it's Clee. I think that that's what I've been tweeting. That's cool, man. Yeah. Beats I, just sends me heart emojis. I <laughs> I, I, no, I do that, and I say, you know, Paul P. Cleezy like cities. Which is, which is, Pete Cleasy trying to keep it easy. He keeps, he keeps it easy. I was it easy. I was listening to R. Kelly Ignition on the way over here, so that that it intro hit the spot, guys. Out and fresh out. But I, I did figure we'll probably be talking a lot of uh, kind words towards one Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray and, and oh. others today because. Oh. Paul Clee, one of the biggest fans of both those guys in the state. That's true. Of that's true. He's, he's got the. He's got them both. Um, if you know, Adam Mars was here, it would just be you know the Nikola Jokic. That's love my fest, dude. So, well, we had uh, Paul. Adam y- kills it too. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a big Jokic guy. Uh, Paul, you had a, a great story about Nikola Jokic. A little bit of uh, background with Tim Conley about how they found him, and then some some great insight from his brothers. Tell us a little bit about getting to know Jokic's brothers, and, and maybe what kind of impact you see them having on on their younger brother. That was a cool story, man, and I. And I, I don't not didn't mean that because I wrote it, but it was really fun to work on. <laughs> um, we get guys that come roll through this town like Jokic not very often, and I don't know if a lot of cities do. I I think that people are starting to grasp what he is, but I think it's still going to take a few years, and that's totally understandable because he's such a different type of player. Um, but that was really fun. One because I'm totally obsessed with European basketball. And part of that comes from my one true love in sports is Gonzaga basketball. And we've really broken the mold for how to recruit a top 10 team. And that's to go to France, to go to Italy, to go to Poland. Um, 
we have a Dutch kid now. I mean, it's just that, that's what they do. And so I'm really interested in how this comes about. The Nuggets have taken that that direction. And I like that because my one theory with the Nuggets that I've always held true going back to, you know, the 80s is they have to do one of two things to be really good. And if you do both, they can be really good. And they have to get lucky and they have to be different. And what they've done now, I think they check both those boxes. They're not there yet, but they check both those boxes. They got lucky with Jokic. And you need some context with that because they did put a bunch of resources into their international scouting, but they got lucky with them. We have to say that. And I think Tim would tell you the same thing. They're different because of where they're looking for players. It's not unheard of yeah. to go overseas, but they're doing it extensively. So I like that part. And plus, guys, if you watch Shahinja and Nemanja during games, they're totally interesting. I mean, they're, they're totally yeah. engrossed in what's happening. And they're also enormous Serbian mountains. And They're huge. And there's three of them. <laughs> they are enormous. Are they, are they still traveling to all the road games? They don't go to all of them. You know, Shahinja goes back and forth between here and New York because his wife lives in New York. Um, Nemanja's here quite a bit more, but... They're at almost every game. And so I just think they're interesting cats. So that was fun. And what you asked Nate about how does this impact the Nuggets, how does his brothers, it is going to be a significant impact. Here's why. That was my Hubie Brown right there. (laughs) (laughs) Or my Digger Phelps. Here's why. Here's why. But I need a magic marker. Yeah, you need a (laughs) color-coordinated marker. (laughs) His brother, Nemanja, is studying to be a sports agent. That's what he wants to do. Oh, I see. And that's by design, because at some point, Nikola, and it sounds like Rikola, a Cer- Serbian cough drop, is going to be an NBA superstar. Right. And with that comes a boatload of money. And I think his brother isn't putting himself into position now where he not only wants to be that castle around his brother in a good way, this is a very good thing, but he wants to be a part of those negotiations. So when that rolls around in two years, or when that happens, probably before two years, I think the brothers are going to be involved in that decision of whether he wants to be in Denver or he wants to be elsewhere. Does that make? I hope that makes sense. Well, no, it yeah. does. And you know, it's an, very interesting as, as far as the European angle goes. And I think this goes. I, I mentioned this to Tim Connolly three years ago, um, one of the first times we had him on our podcast, and I said. A lot of Nuggets memories of European players, even to this day, is Ephthemios Rencius mm-hmm. and Nicholas Skidashvili. <laughs> and I think that that has been so burned into people's brains that even to this day, people cannot get over it. And, and that's probably contributed to, even though I think people are finally starting to get on the, on the Jokic bandwagon, I think that's been why it's contributed to the slowness of it. People are like, well, it's because of this. You know, you've got this guy's a bust. You know, uh, well, what about? Thank God we didn't take Darko Milicic. You know, in in two thousand three. Otherwise, oh, what would we? Would that we was another there? example of getting lucky. Getting lucky. So obviously, and I think that has contributed to it. And I think, I think what what the Nuggets need to do is focus on the uniqueness of Nikola Jokic. And I think your article that you wrote encapsulating his relationship with his brothers actually kind of fits really well into that narrative because people need to get get to know the the, the package that is uh, Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic. I think one of my favorite things, Paul, that you always mention when you write basketball pieces is you don't call it a franchise. You always call it a program. 
and to me that's kind of got that that college angle but I think more of what it speaks to is you're a basketball purist like you enjoy the game I think on a, a different level than most fans um, wh- why do you call it a program I, it's cool you noticed that man <laughs> um, I think it's everything you just said was true because I, I think the good teams are programs that it's the way of going about business is something they have a bottom line the spurs are the greatest example of that the patriots are another greatest example of that right where it's goes it has to do with everything from the type of player they sign the type of personality to how they spend money to tim duncan being a submissive superstar to the head coach you know we saw stories prior to the Super Bowl where Belichick would just rip Brady in team meetings well when Pop when Pop introduced Tim Duncan at his jersey retirement he said I felt like I could rip my best player and when you have that kind of capital as a coach man you can you can get guys to buy into anything and that to me is a program that that's an idea of that's a um, that's a theory at work. That's a that's a bottom line type of deal. So I do think the better teams are programs, not necessarily money making franchises, and they give a lot of power to the, the guys in charge. And the two guys in charge of the best teams are the best player and the head coach. That's who's in front of the camera. That's who the face of the program is. So I think what we're seeing from the Nuggets now, and it took longer than it should have taken. I mean, this we shouldn't be on year four of this, you know, but. Um, what you have, especially last night when you watched that game against the Mavs, you shuttled in Wancho, you shuttled in Jamal Murray, you shuttled in Jokic. These are guys who, it's a different feel with this young crew that I think they are buying into it like it is a college program. And they didn't skip a beat last night. So that's what I'm hopeful for, is that this is kind of a program and not a franchise. And, and hopefully they can keep it, you know, they can get something going where when you bring a free agent in, he knows what he's getting into. When you join the Pats, you join the Spurs, you know what you're getting into. And there's a reason David West takes so much less money, you know, because he knows what he's getting into, and it's a, it's a winning type of program. Do you buy into the notion that, um, and I think you kind of just explained it right there, is that the specifically with basketball, with the rosters being so small, it kind of like is like a, a – kind of like sled dogs where you have to have the guys who the, the the pack you have to have the two or the you in most cases just the one alpha and everyone else falls in behind and i basketball teams are always looking for that alpha dog and if they don't have it you're you're just kind of like people going in a whole bunch of different directions but once you have that one guy it's a lot easier for the entire team to fall in line specifically with what the coach is doing so. Yeah, and, and I, I love that we're doing this podcast today because last night's Nuggets game I thought was a revelation. Yeah. I really did because it, I was thinking in the first half they're going up 10, they're going up 15, they're up 20. Oh, and look who's not playing. You know, and it's not because of – I was thinking like they don't miss Moutier, they don't miss Gallo, they don't miss these guys. It's that is Jokic just going to make everybody that plays with him better? <laughs> yeah. Is this just the Jokic effect? Except that he didn't have his best game. You know, he's a double double, but it wasn't. He wasn't leading off Sports Center. He's in foul trouble. Foul trouble. But it was going yeah. back to the idea of a program where we're we're all watching Nikola Jokic. You know, 
I think last night was, on a smaller scale, another example of the Jokic effect where you had Wancho going balls out. You had guys that weren't scared. Jamal Murray's clearly not scared because he's talking trash to the Mavs bench. <laughs> and they feel comfortable because of who they have on their sideline. They have the best player in that particular game. Yeah. And so, and I was thinking, all right, so are these guys just getting better? Is Wancho getting better? Is Murray getting better? Is Barton getting better? Or is it because of Jokic? It's neither. It doesn't matter. <laughs> there's, there's almost a buy-in now that we haven't seen for a couple of years that it doesn't matter so much. It obviously does, but it doesn't matter as much now because you do have Nikola Jokic and you're starting to build a type of yeah. program. Well, that's, that's, you hit exactly, I think, what, what I've been debating about with myself is you, you see the game when Jokic is in there. It's, you, know, you run the offense through him. There's guys start moving without the ball so they can get easy buckets. But then when Jokic came out of games... When they'd go to the second unit for whatever reason, if it was you know comprised mainly of Barton, Wilson, Chandler, and Jameer Nelson, even Drell Arthur, it kind of turns into more of it was turning into more isolation and jump shots and not as much sharing and moving. But now, like you were saying, Paul, I feel like the Nuggets are finding an identity of hey, let's move and pass, mm-hmm. and it's you don't need Jokic on the floor all the time for the team to play the way they should play when they have him on the floor. Now Does I think, sense? I, now, yeah, it does. And now I think we have to identify why were they suddenly a good defensive team, you know? And also, does it make you more comfortable with the idea of shedding some of these older contracts, going with the young core? It, do you feel com- more comfortable with that because of what you saw last night? You know, I, I don't know if I do. I don't know if I don't yet. But last night's game was different. There was a different feel to that. Um, I'd love to know what you guys think about that. Are you more comfortable with the idea of separating from guys that have been here for a few years because you did see some progress with the younger crew in advance of the trade deadline? In the, I mean, I'll put it to you this way, the way my mentality is on this. From what I've, everything I've been able to glean, the Nuggets are projecting that they really, really do want to make the playoffs. Not in a desperate sense, but almost. They really want to make the playoffs. There's there's trading because you think, okay, we can move on, which is something I think is more of an off-season kind of move. You trade guys now who are good and you move on from them, I don't think you're sending the signal that you want to compete for the playoffs, which sends a signal to the team. If you want to do went to make the playoffs, you make a team do something to make your team better. Mm-hmm. You don't subtract from the team, like I said, which is a which is an off season kind of thing. If they did that kind of thing now, I think it would be kind of demoralizing, uh, unless they made a massive upgrade. If they said like, okay, we're going to send this guy, this guy, and we're going to get a much better player, but I, yeah, I just don't see That's that. That's a great point. Yep. Yeah, I wor- I worry about it a little bit with the sense of if you make too many changes. Are you going to have to go back through a learning curve and now you're jammed in there with three or four teams and you really want to make the playoffs, but if you mess with the chemistry too much, is that going to throw things off? And, and you know, having let's, let's just use Jameer Nelson as an example. Having him on the team, does that make for less pressure for guys like Murray and Moutier to you know, go out there and play and think, eh, you know, suddenly if Jameer's not there, is that going to put more pressure on those guys to say, oh, man, i got to be the man now. Do they start playing tighter? I, I, I would tend to worry about that stuff a little bit. Is getting rid of the veterans going to 
would it put more pressure on the young guys to try to perform? Or could it be an addition by subtraction, like when the Nuggets sent out, you know, famous or infamously sent Marcus Camby to the Clippers for two sec- or a second round pick or whatever it was? And then, you know, it looked like to everybody they're waving the white flag, they but got they better. signed Chris Anderson and they go to the Western Conference Finals. Well, yeah, it, but that was an offseason move, though. And I think that's like Nate and I saw one year when the Nuggets traded Timofey Mozgov, who's not, wasn't a great player, but he was a veteran. The Nuggets traded him, and there was a very kind of demoralized locker room after that because it sent a signal to the team, like, we're moving on and we're going young here. And I think if you're going to do that sort of thing, you've got to be damn sure that you're, what you're doing is going to keep that morale and the team up, you know, because, like, moves send signals. If you're going to do that sort of thing and if you're going to wholesale, like, send out, say, Gallo Farid, Ethan Chandler, um, Barton, any of those guys with some picks, you've got to make sure if your mentality is still you're going to make the, want to make the playoffs that you, like, your team buys into what you're doing. So Ooh, Let me hit you guys with this one real quick, okay? Yeah. Watching the second half last night, I think I figured it out. Maybe. Maybe not. You can tell me if not. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out who it was. I was trying to figure out who it was that Nikola Jokic reminds me of in Denver sports. And this guy came to mind. Okay, this is going to sound Looney Tune, but let's, let's for the record, it is... What time is it? It's before noon. 11.45. I have not had anything to drink except <laughs> this coffee in front of me. It was Peyton Manning. Wow. Which, which era of Peyton Manning? Right when he gets here and the offense is awesome? or It was more, of indie, it was more indie Peyton. Okay. More Indianapolis Peyton. Nobody has been better for an offense's economy than Peyton Manning. Yeah. He made more dudes money than anybody else. Brady's done that a little bit, not quite as much. And, and you guys know how I feel about Handsome Tom. He's my favorite player to watch, okay? Yeah. But nobody's done it like Peyton's done it where he would get guys paid. Like he would make them look like something they probably were not. That's exactly what Jokic is going to do. You had last night, you plug in some guys that haven't played a whole lot. They had their best game because I feel like he facilitates in a way, or he makes them maybe look better than they actually are. Peyton did that for 15 years or 13 years in, in Indy. Well, and I think that's kind of what we're going to see from Jokic. I don't know that he's going to be that caliber of an impact. I personally think he is. I think he's a 10, 11, 12-time All-Star. But he's going to get guys paid, and he's going to make them look better. And I think that's it's a bizarre con- comp but well, well, I, well impact impact that impact. was an impact comparison yeah mm-hmm. i was yes. i was just texting about this the other day with with jeff and Marez and harrison wind I, I texted them and i said gary harris is gonna have to like thank nikola Jokic for the next contract yeah. he gets yes i said and the reason it's not because he's made gary harris better it's that he's allowed an aspect of gary harris's game to really shine and that's cutting and moving without the ball had gary harris played in the traditional offense where maybe the nuggets just use him as a 3 and D guy, we don't ever see the level of cutting that he's doing right now. And and the other players too, it's like the Nuggets are figuring out, you know, Gary Harris may have averaged 12 points a game on his own. Maybe he's going to average 19 with Jokic because he gets three or four easy buckets a game to and, go on with that. You know, it's, it's, it's a very interesting angle. I like that. And that, that post-game interview with Vic, who had a couple of really good ones last yeah. night, yeah. was... Um, 
asked about that alley-oop to Nurkic, totally deflected it, totally yeah. deferred to Nurk. He just said he showed me where to pass. That was such a pain thing to say. I mean, he gave all the credit to Nurkic. Yeah. We think, okay, that's a silly thing. That's a little thing. Guys notice that stuff. They really do. They watch and read everything about themselves, especially in the NBA, more than anywhere else. He's going, that's going to get back to him, that he gave him the credit. And he does that a lot, man. He doesn't take credit for it. It's a lot of what Peyton did here. I mean, everybody knows, though, when you go play, if you go to the gym and you play pickup basketball, you know, after a game or two, you know which guy loves to shoot and which guy loves to pass, right? Beats you, loves to shoot. <laughs> yeah, right. And you know if and you get Jamal Crawford a, Beats a gunner. Yes. And you know if you get put on on Beats's team that you're not going to see too many shots. I'm a, I'm black a, hole I'm over a black here. hole of <laughs> offense. Know? Yes. But you know when you play with a guy like Jokic, I mean, you just you know that oh, this is going to be fun. First of all, you know, like we're going to probably light this team up, and everybody's going to get a chance to to really show their stuff. And well. The best way I could ever put out someone who makes a team better is not it's not assists. I mean, because Rajon Rondo racked up a ton of assists with the Boston Celtics back when he was there with Paul Pierce and uh, Kevin Garnett. Ray Allen. And Ray Allen. It wasn't... And... and Decent squad. Yeah. It wasn't the fact that he was... I don't think he made his team better. I think he got a lot of assists. It's not the fact that you distribute the ball, that you make teams better. It's the change of mentality. Kevin Garnett had a bigger impact on that team than uh, Rajon Rondo did. Um, it is because you once you affect that mentality, and it's all in the head, once you affect that mentality of the team, as you were pointing out, Paul, um, it is, it's a different kind of effect. Magic Johnson's effect wasn't the fact that he was doing behind-the-back on, passes on breaks. It's because he made every single person on that team, including a grizzled old Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, believe that they can win. That is what he, he affected. Same thing with Larry Bird. Even Michael Jordan, who wasn't exactly the, the, hard, the easiest person to get along with on the Bulls, he at least made every one of those people on the Bulls think, you know what, I got a chance because this guy is going to make us better and therefore I'm going to be better. And it's not the assists, it's not the scoring, it's the mentality change. And I think, as you were pointing out, at least with your Peyton analogy, he kind of makes people believe in a certain way, and I think that that is the greatest impact that he makes on the team. I'm just a big believer in that of kind of a of positive energy and knowing that you're going to have fun knowing that you have the best player perhaps you know like hey we have Jokic like you said Paul he was the best player on the floor last night even though he didn't have his best game just knowing that you have that guy just makes all the ships rise a little bit it, I think it's it's the great it's my great house painter theory where <laughs> and I hate to go back to Peyton again but he was the great house painter he cover up he covers up all the cracks and we know this Nuggets team is flawed. I mean, it's it's got some serious defensive flaws. There was a stretch there where, whoo, I, I thought it was the worst defensive Nuggets team I've seen, and that says a lot. Yeah, <laughs> because holy cats! But it was. But he still made it work, yeah. and because he covers up a lot of those things. So, yeah, I mean, we probably. We're going to build a statue here pretty soon, it sounds like. Um, <laughs> I, I, I still think as, as, as much of a, a heaven send as he's been, um, the key for me still is Moutier. I, I think it's 
how does Moutier develop? How does Moutier develop? Um, if he becomes a guy that you have to be scared of when you compete against him, the Nuggets are going to be in the Western Conference Finals in a couple of years. If he doesn't, that's going to be a big hole because point guards run this thing right now. Especially when you yeah. consider that Denver spent basically two number seven overall picks on point guards, right? Like you had to, in back-to-back years, you took you had lottery picks and you basically picked the same position twice. And sure, you maybe you're going to hit on 50%. Maybe Murray's going to make it. Perhaps Moutier is not as a elite point guard, you know? I, we don't know yet, but the thing is, I mean, having to spend two picks to figure out you got one guy, that's where the hole comes in, right? But you kind of get lucky in the fact that you hit on a second-round guy in Jokic. Maybe you hit on Wancho, who's a, a mid-first-round pick. Once you start hitting on those kind of guys, maybe you can make a mistake towards the top. But, man, it would be a whole lot better, like you said, Paul, if they if Moutier can turn out to be a player, then you're really stacked. The, the Warriors hit on two first-rounders and a second-rounder. That's right. how they did this. They hit on Look, Clay. Spurs, too. Tony Parker, late first. Absolutely. Manu, second. It's a got to get a little bit lucky. And like Conley said the other day, it, this thing is a lot of luck. The Warriors got lucky. As much as you want to credit them for doing it, they got really stinking lucky. They got lucky with Draymond. How many teams passing him? 33, Extremely right? Extremely lucky. Yeah. Clay, Clay Thompson, they got lucky. He was, oh. what, 11th in that, in that draft? Oh, yeah. yeah. They got lucky with him. Got a little lucky with Curry. He's his seventh pick. You know, this wasn't a surefire can't-miss star. Yeah. So now the Nuggets hit on two, I feel like. They hit on Murray. They hit on Jokic big time. Do you hit on that third piece? That's what we've got to figure out because we don't know it yet. Well, I, I will dispute a little bit with both of you on as far as I'd like the point guard thing. I think the league is – we're seeing something different in the league right now. The league is slowly moving away from the ball-dominant point guard thing because of the influx of big men in the league that have been so good. I mean, you got Embiid, Towns, Przingis, Jokic. Miles Turner. <laughs> Miles Turner, exactly. Um, and uh, guys who are almost high-usage big men, not in the same way low-post grinded-out guys, but you got high-usage big men coming back into the league. And it's funny, someone was talking to me, like, was telling me, like, they would take Carl Anthony Towns over Nikola Jokic. And I, I said, I, I said, this is why I wouldn't. Carl Anthony Towns will be a Hall of Famer and a really great player, and there is nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that. He will be David Robinson. He reminds me of David Robinson. David Robinson was a game changing Hall of Fame player. But that who needed Tim Duncan to make to win championships, and I see that as Carl Anthony Towns. I don't see that with Nikola Jokic. I see Jokic in more the uh, will make his entire team better, better like Akeem Olajuwon, you know that kind of comparison. And I think that, but it, you know, I digress. But but the more the, the greater point is, I think big men, the way the big men are coming into this league right now, we're seeing a move away from that ball dominant point guard, and that is kind of why I'm not as worried about Emmanuel Moutier because I think that you already have your your guy in Jamal Murray to to have a nice segue here. Yeah, and do you have with with, with Murray and Jokic, Jokic is kind of the, you know, I, I think he's the guy that coach can get on that takes all of his teammates under his wing is the goofball in the locker room everybody relates to him. Is Murray then kind of the, the serious sniper, the guy that kind of plays with that 
chip on his shoulder or is the angry assassin of this team and you that's a pretty good balance between those two yeah the the um son of a gun i forgot what i was gonna say but murray yeah murray's different this is a guy that he's a loner he's a all basketball and we we hear that about some guys and it's true even Jokic isn't that way loves playing monopoly with his girlfriend Murray, on the other hand, wants to put up 600 shots in the gym at midnight. He's real different. Yep. This, is a, this is a guy that has framed his entire life around the game. And he's been that way going back to AAU ball. His coach, he, he kind of warned me about it. He said he's a different guy in that there's no other hobby. There's nothing else that he does. And so I was concerned with when he started out 0 for a million – this year right how is he going to handle that like this is the first time he's it's not like he struggled before he'd never struggled before i mean he set the uk scoring record for a freshman that's nuts man because they've had yeah. some dudes yeah <laughs> yeah so when you start out oh for a million how do you respond to that didn't phase him because yep. he's so freaking cocky he's so confident in himself that said a lot about him i think but he's not a guy that is going to reach out to teammates. Um, he did it last night a little bit, which I really liked, when he knew that Malik Beasley could, like you said earlier, Jeff, when yeah. he could use a bucket, yeah. he found him. Yeah. And so he's very cognizant of what's going on around him. But Jokic is different. Jokic doesn't care if he ever sees his name in a headline. And I don't mean it to sound like Murray's a selfish guy. He's not. He's just got the mentality that he's he was born to score. And that's his deal. Jokic was born to save the world, but um, he wasn't born to score. (laughs) So the two very different personalities, and um, there's worse things that you could have. I I really like the dynamic between those two guys because they're not the same. I I, I would hate having two guys who are the same character on a team like that. Two guys who are, like you say, saving the world. That's just... You, you can't have two of those on a roster, and you can't have two guys who are wanting to kill you with shots on the and, roster either. You asked about his brothers earlier. Like, yeah. what does his brother's impact on Jokic? It's everything. It's the idea that they're wrestling. Okay, this, this cracked me up. Like, this, this, <laughs> this killed me. That Jokic's oldest brother came to Ta- Conley and said, are you doing anything different with, like, your pliability and your flexibility exercises? Because we were wrestling the other night. And his hamstrings seem tight. <laughs> and I'm like, going, what? <laughs> I mean, me and Beats wrestle, but we're not NBA guys, and we're not 6'8", you know, 250 pounds. Right. I crush him. Yeah. He's got the ankle locked down. But that cracked me up. But it's like anything that Michael Malone tells Nikola Jokic, he hasn't heard a dozen times before from his brothers. There is no criticism that he's going to cower behind. He's going to be a guy that you can pick on in practice, and he's fine because Nemanja and Strahinja have both told him that probably a dozen times in the last month because they're really tough on him. And I do think that that relationship impacts how you can coach him because he, get, he goes home and he gets beat up in Nerf games in their living room all the time, you know? Right. <laughs> so, one one uh, small aspect that I noticed last night was you have Jokic now. I think defenses are starting to try to 
figure out how to take some of these passing lanes away from him. Ah, good luck. You know? And it's not only that, but it, yeah. w- what I've started to see out of him now, and he did it a couple times last night, was he's just driving to the rim now. You know, he's like, if you're going to take away some passes, and he has kind of a quick spin first step. I mean, he got around. It's Dirk. Dirk took a, a bath in cement before the game started. But, you know, he has shown a little bit of quickness where he's, you know, he's like, okay, if you're going to take my passing away. And we've seen it, you know, on this run as well where guys play off of him. We've seen it since he's come into the league. If centers aren't going to respect the shot, he's going to hit it. Is he going to be able to drive to the rim? Like, his game seems so limitless. And the same thing with Murray where – I worried for a little while, not worried, but I thought before he came to the team, is he just an outside shooter? And I've been you know, very impressed by Murray's ability to get to the rim in a variety of ways. We knew coming in that he loved to go left and he loves his left hand, but his willingness and his tenacity to attack the lane is, is something that I didn't expect out of Jamal Murray. And I, I just I love these two guys. That's why I said it's the CSG Love cast. Love cast. Well, I... Jamal Murray, I think, is – I would describe him – we've had this love fest for, for Jokic, which is extremely deserved. The key to me is Jamal Murray more than anything else because I think, I think that he has that personality, as you were discussing, Paul, to lead in a, in a way that I don't think Jokic can – Jokic, I, I described him in an article recently as Columbo. He uh, he does have some Columbo that's calls. straight from the Beats catalog. <laughs> he right is it's right there. He is he's the guy that solves cases because people underestimate him. And yeah, I, you, you think when DeAndre Jordan is guarding Jokic, he takes anything Jokic is about to do seriously? <laughs> Looks <laughs> like, but I mean? it's unfair. Yeah. It, yes. It's un, it's unfair, but so, it was with Columbo too because you knew he was going to solve the case. Yeah. But people still took him not seriously whatsoever. And I think that that is just, they're, they're falling victim to human nature because you look at Nikola Jokic and he's walking around as if, uh, you know, he just got a girl's number and he's just kind of walking around and just kind of being goofy. And that's because of who he is. That's his personality. He doesn't change his personality on the court. It's the same person you see on the court. It's the same person you see off the court. He's just really good at basketball. He's got some and mean streaks, though. He does. He has some mean streaks, but he it's not like... slapped the shit out of Seth Curry last night. Yes, he did. <laughs> you could hear but, it. But it was like he gets frustrated, and you can tell, and he committed three really dumb fouls last night. And he still has to get out of that kind of slap and frustration foul. But there are... But, but Murray, you could see, is the guy that will, like, wants to kill you. And then he wants to tell you about how he's killing you. He's one of those guys, and that, I think, is really essential to a basketball team. You can't have a bunch of guys who are um, kind of like the Rockies tried to do years ago where a bunch of choir boys, you know. It's just like everyone had the same personality. No one had that killer mentality. You, uh, Murray has that guy that I want to, you know, do this and I want to humiliate you kind of thing. And it's, it sounds bad, but you need that on a basketball team. Yeah. And I think he's he has to get past, at least for now, when the point guard spot is up in the air. I mean, it's, it has it not is. been determined. It's up in the air, definitely. And he has to get past the idea that he's always been a point guard. Well, in two years you might be, but right now you're not. I mean, that's you've got it. He did it. He said it again last night, and he said it before that he's always been a point guard. We know that. Yeah. Right now he's not. And he has to embrace that idea. He still has the green light on every possession. There's not a shot that he takes that Malone's going to say that was a bad shot. Because yeah. he's still trying to 
build him up. But he's talked trash to the Lakers, Jordan Clarkson. He's now talked trash to Wesley Matthews on the Mavs bench. There was another one that isn't coming to mind yeah, now. Yeah, he got some of the other night where he hit a shot, and you could see him going back, and they were John a little bit. This is a good thing. Who, yeah. This is a good thing, because Jokic is not going to be that guy. So what Michael Malone has to be, at the beginning of the year, I thought Malone had to be the MVP of this team. That to figure out a very bizarre rotation, figure out who needs to start, and it took him a long time to figure that out in NBA years, which is like dog years. It took him a long time. Now I feel like if they're going to make the next move where they're going to go from being the eight seed to being the three seed or the four seed, Tim Connolly's got to be the MVP. And it's different than any other team where it's not a player that they're not there yet. So at the beginning, it was how do you manage these bizarre personalities? Because this is a weird-ass team. Okay, This is a <laughs> yeah. very weird team. And Malone did figure it out after a while to an extent. Um, now Conley's got to figure out, like, what is the next couple of pieces that you add? Who do you move? What Beats said earlier I thought was so true about locker rooms see things. They feel messages. That was never more true than the Nuggets the two years after George Carl was fired, that that sent a message throughout the locker room that took them about three and a half years to get over. That's on them, but it's still the truth, that the locker room can tell from personnel decisions what management is thinking. And that's the biggest underestimation, I think, amongst NBA fans is honestly, I didn't even really realize it until, and not that I, not that you as a reporter see a lot in locker rooms, but you can definitely tell. That was my biggest turn is figuring out, okay, so chemistry matters and finding the right pieces and the right guys matters. You can't just go get, there's a possibility that the Bulls may trade Jimmy Butler. There's a possibility that the Nuggets could be involved in trade conversations about Jimmy Butler. Is Jimmy Butler the right mentality to put on this team? That's, I think, Paul, what you might be alluding to with Tim Connolly. He's got to figure that part out. Who, who are the right guys to bring in here to not upset and rock the boat of what they have going? Right. And, and you know, who is it? You know, that's, that's going to be a, a huge question for this team to face. And you, never, you don't know until – I think it's important that if it's a guy like Butler – I mean, we'd be ecstatic if that happened because of how he plays. He's got a little Westbrook to him. that He really doesn't care for your family's livelihood. He, he, right. he wants to score 30. And he may not care about his teammates' livelihood. Right, but we don't know. <laughs> you know? We don't know yet. But that's a huge part of that yeah. thing. And I, I yeah. think this personality thing is way undervalued. And I, I do believe in the advanced metrics. I've been using them for 15 years. Covering college basketball, I used them extensively. I stopped doing that as much over the last probably five or six years because I think it undervalues personality, fit, um, the idea of how different personalities converging can impact a locker room. Still use them, but not as the end all. I think it's it's more valuable in baseball than it is in basketball because basketball is so chaotic. But it's still valuable. I don't want to dismiss them at all. I use both. I think you got to use both. But I think sometimes that personality aspect is is undervalued. Let me, real quick, I want to go off on a tangent, if that's all right. Yeah, that's yeah. all right. And I hate – I'm going to sound like such a homer right now. But I watch a ton of college basketball. I watch more college basketball than I do the NBA. And what I've seen from my Gonzaga Bulldogs this year is one of the greatest examples of that that I've ever seen in sports. They took out four starters from a team that went to the Elite Eight. They took out four more starters 
they went a team that went to the Sweet 16 as 11 seed. Then they took out four more starters, and now they're number one in the country looking at a one seed. <laughs> well, those guys are friends. I know how they did this. They took three big-time transfers, three big-time BCS transfers, Nigel Williams-Goss, Jordan Matthews, and Jonathan Williams III. They had to bring them on campus, find out what their personality was like, and if they were going to be cool with not being the guy, with just being another guy. They had to figure that out. It wasn't about, you know, Nigel Williams-Goss an All-American. He's gonna, he should be a first-team All-American. His numbers aren't as good as they were at his previous stop, and he's cool with that. So you, got, you really got to find out how these pieces fit together more than you look at do you want to build a super team. Because if you have LeBron, if you have Steph and Kevin Durant, you can build a super team because you know it's going to work because they're there for the right reasons. If you're not those guys, you got to make sure that the personalities fit. And I think it's really cool to see that come together like I've seen with Gonzaga. It would be really cool if that came together here with the Nuggets. But, man, you can't just use what they did in the past from a stat standpoint, from a merit standpoint. If they're all-stars, you got to figure out if those personalities mesh. That's essential. It's absolutely essential, and you can't. And, and the thing about, about chem, I hate using the word chemistry because that kind of is too simplistic, but it's when you're talking about that kind of, um, of combination, it's hard to quantify because you can't, you can't, you can't look at that and, and, and value it because it's it's something that is just it's it's like the three of us have good you know sitting around this table we have good chemistry you know it's just it's something that just is and it's it's hard to 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 say that it's going to be automatically true with any combination you know no better example of that than the 2013 2014 nuggets that added was the same roster that's the 57 win team minus Iguodala and Gallo, but adding Nate Robinson, uh, JJ Hickson, and into that mix, and it didn't work, and largely because the personalities didn't dictate and that. And look what they did after that. Yeah, they rectified it because yep. they saw that. And Tim Connolly would tell you to the drafted day, sure. guys that wanted to be here. Yeah, he, he said like this: we're we're adjusting. That's not something that I would do again. And that is 100% accurate. Yeah, that was the biggest change, I think, in this front office is they realized that they had the locker room wrong at first, and now they figured out that that plays a big key. Although, I I mean, they probably knew that. Nate Robinson obviously was very close with Gallinari, Wilson Chandler. Yeah. uh, But, man, that seems like it was 15 years ago, that team, doesn't it? It seems like years ago. (laughs) J.J. Hickson? Grabbing, trying to grab rebounds and dunk everything. <laughs> Nate Robinson <laughs> dancing with Rocky during a six-game losing streak. Nate and I once yeah. broke news to J.J. Uh, Hickson. It was an interesting moment, one I will always remember. <laughs> Not starting anymore. Where, where do you see this team this season? Is this? I, I didn't think so two weeks ago. I, I thought if if the Nuggets missed the playoffs, I was like, yeah, oh well. Now I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm like. I don't really want to see them. I almost feel like if they don't make the playoffs, it's a it's a slight disappointment. Mm-hmm. I think so. And I think it's a disappointment, not from the standpoint of that four-game series, because it will be a four-game yeah. series. Maybe five. I'm with you, Nate. Maybe. Give me, give me game five. three at home. I'm okay. I'm okay with that. <laughs> so maybe we could ch- channel but, my favorite team, but we, the 94 We can Nuggets. go fly fishing the day after game five is scheduled. <laughs> we're, we're in agreement on that. Okay? Yeah. So it's not like you want them to be in that series – the one eight series because you think they're gonna, you know, bust the bracket. They're not going to. 
it's because of the impact I think it could have on the years after that. The Warriors got in as a six. That was a big move for them. That was a big step. They got to experience it, all that stuff. It sounds really freaking cheesy, but it's so true. If you haven't been to the NCAA tournament before, the first time is jarring. If you haven't been to the playoffs, and this team hasn't, okay, we're seeing the personality of this team has transitioned from the older guys, Kenneth Freed, Kenneth to um, Kenneth Fareed, Danilo Gallinari. It's now the younger guys. That's where the personality is coming from, yeah. I feel like. And I include yeah. Will Barton in that. Yeah. So getting them there to the playoffs, having that experience, I think that's a significant thing. And I think, too, you see it in uh, I'm a big fight fan, whether it's boxing or UFC. You see guys that get a title shot. They come in to face either a Floyd Mayweather or whomever else it is. And they, they freeze up in the moment. And, and part of it, what they say with, with, with UFC is, you know, these contenders have never been on a, a press junket or a press tour like they've experienced with a title fight. You know, you're having to do this and that. And the NBA playoffs, it's, it's, there's some similarities there yeah. where you're, you know, you're on that big stage and you've got to kind of dip your toes in to really make a run at it, I think. Even the Warriors, for how great they were, stumbled the round after they beat the Nuggets, right? They lose to the Spurs. Everybody probably expected that. But, you know, then they come back the next year and win the whole thing. So the, I, I'm a big believer in you have to get there, you have to fail, and then you have to move on. The Warriors never fail. They got kind of lucky. Pistons failed, Lakers, Celtics, Bulls, all these teams have the failed. The best example of that is the Pistons, I think, because they failed for years. Not failed. We're saying using failed in the kind of its uh, relative sense here, but they kept butting up against better teams and then but, 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 and then finally broke through. And I think that it pretty much is the way it has to go in the NBA. I mean, the Warriors beat the Nuggets. They lost the Spurs the next year. They lose to the Clippers in the first round. And then the next year after that, they finally oh, yeah, put all the right, pieces the Clippers, together the and, and do it. But they, they had to go through that failure. And the Nuggets are, Nuggets are in that point right now where they're going to have to go. It's like, okay, we want to make the playoffs, but if we do, where do we go from here? There's no other professional sports league in America that revolves around the idea of hierarchy, respect, yep. and the step-by-step process as much as the NBA. Yep. That there is a very clear path that teams have followed to get really good. The Nuggets here went through that for years before they got to the Western Conference Finals. The, yep. the Warriors went through that. The Bulls went through that. Every team that's been good, um, even those sweet Rockets teams, they went through it a little bit. Yeah. So... Um, the NBA revolves around that, and it could be as small as starting to get calls. Right. You know, it could be as small as that, or it could be as big as a playoff series. It's, it's, uh, I love that about the NBA. You really have to earn your way. Got to find that guy, and I think the Nuggets have, find that guy that people want to play with. For a long time, the Nuggets, I mean, even when Melo was here, they didn't necessarily have that guy that people wanted to play with. Remember, Melo couldn't even recruit Brad Miller to Couldn't come get here. Brad Miller. Brad Miller, the outdoorsman, wouldn't <laughs> sign with the Nuggets. I think he signed with the Bulls. Yep. There was that offseason where Denver was courting him. You know, yep. They did get Kenny and Martin, but I was never uh, I was never confident that Melo was going to help recruit guys to come here. And with, you know, maybe with Jokic and Murray, if you get that team style going, maybe that encourages guys to come in. And like you said, Paul, if, if Jokic is going to help get guys paid, maybe that brings them in too. You know, like <laughs> I can play with this guy. Why wouldn't you want to? Yeah. I mean, he's going to make guys a lot yeah. of money. Yeah. Remember that Brad Miller game in Chicago? I was at the game. It was on the United his finger. Center. I was oh, at yeah. the game. Yeah. I think Feinstein was there too for some reason. Yeah, yeah. I was at there because yeah. I was living out there. 
and I go to the game. I'm the, I'm the only Nuggets, you know, fan in there. I can say that. I have no problem saying that. And I was like, dang it, lost freaking Brad Miller. And then they wave it off. It was on his fingertip. I, I, I will never forget this. It was on his fingertip. That shot. Yeah, so that's my like, Brad Miller boom. highlight. Yeah, he used to <laughs> like paint that. houses in college. That's, that's another good one. Well, Paul, we probably won't have a chance to have you on before the trade deadline happens. What would be your scenario for the Nuggets? Is there something they could do that you'd like? Is Should they stand pat? Should they make deals? What, what would you be happy with post-deadline Nuggets? You know, I think one of the big advantages that this – outfit has right now is that all of a sudden you have five guys on the score that are an offensive threat and Jokic has changed the value of Kenneth Fareed in about a six week span we went from well where's the new rumor about Kenneth Fareed where is he going to go then it transitioned to we'd be nuts to move this guy right now yeah the way that he played for a little while so it's gotten more difficult deciding who it is you move. Let me say that I like the idea of having five guys that can score, but if all of a sudden Kenneth Fareed is a scoring threat, it's almost like whoever you put with Jokic is going to be a scoring threat because yeah. he's going to be shooting layups and dunk, dunk shots. I would love a perimeter defender. I think everybody feels that way. A shot blocker, rim protector type. Those guys aren't growing on trees right now. Nope. Yeah. I watch Philly, and I say I love the idea of what Nerlens Noel could be next to Jokic. I can't see Philly giving a guy like that up because there's just not a lot of them. Yeah. So it's a really tough question. I totally hedge, and I freaking hate it when I listen to podcasts and guys don't give a firm opinion. <laughs> but it's, I, it's a guy like that, you know, and I don't know exactly who that is out there or if teams are willing to give them up. But after we saw how the defense improved last night, and some of that was a tired Mavs team that probably didn't take the Nuggets as seriously as they should have. But the, the defense was so much better that – I think if you are able to add a shot blocker down there to help him out, um, I don't think it takes a ton. You know, I don't think they're that far off. I've gotten a little nervous with two guys that I was looking at, Nerlens Noel and Willie Cauley-Stein. I've, I've, mm -hmm. I've read on Willie Cauley-Stein, and I've listened to Nerlens Noel with Wojnowski on his podcast. Both talk about wanting to expand and grow their games on the offensive end. And to me, why Kenneth Freed fits so perfectly with Jokic is because he now knows who he is as an NBA player. He's the Olympian. He's the Olympian again. Yep. Remember how yeah. good he was with that Olympic squad yep. or Pan Am squad, the Olympic squad. That's who he is now. But he's not. He's and all not, of a sudden he's good again. Yep. And he's not out there saying, "I'm working on my jump shot." I'm trying to. Adam Mares penned a brilliant piece about Freed playing in the short corner, basically mm -hmm. getting the hell out really of the good. way and allowing buckets to come to him. And I don't know if you're going to find another young guy that is going to sacrifice, you know, because Freed doesn't have to sacrifice his game to play alongside Jokic, where I think Noel and Willie Cauley-Stein, it might be in their head like, hey, I need to be shooting threes, and I need to be working on jumpers, and I should be featured in the pick and roll. Freed is almost the perfect guy because he knows who he is. The Cauley-Stein one is very interesting. Right? I think that his history with Jamal Murray, too, can help oh. and because they they do have a relationship so i think that's a very interesting one and also the fact that you have the dynamic of he was taken directly ahead of emmanuel moody yeah. and that's how moody felt we thought fell in their lap and 
dudes, it's way too early to give up on this kid. It is way, way too early, and they are not going to. They're absolutely not going to, and they shouldn't. Um, but if you're asking, what do you want to see over the final? We're on game 50 now, the final or 651, something like that. Final 30 games of the season, what do you want to see? I want to see Emmanuel Moutier ball. I want to see him ball because that's going to tell you a lot about what they have going into next year. Mike, Mike Prada had a, a brilliant tweet the other day where he just said flat out, looking at Eric Bledsoe, maybe we're wrong on point guards. And it takes them, you know, Matt Moore had a great interview way back with uh, even Jameer Nelson and Mike Conley have both told him, you know, point guard is, it takes time. You're seeing Eric Bledsoe start to flourish. Uh, you know, Kyle Lowry really started to flourish later in his career. With point guards, it's going to take Chauncey. time. And with Chauncey, Chauncey yeah, took I mean, a long time. On yeah. and on. A lot of, a lot of guys. I'll, I'll, yeah, let me just say this. Let me just throw this in Even there. Even John Wall's a better player now well, than yeah. he was two years ago. And that's a, I was just going to bring that up, too, because I, I, I don't. I, I, it's not that I have given up on Moutier. Uh, what my position is with him is he needs to accept less of the ball in his hands. The, the biggest key for him for the development of him and this team is to for him to say, I, I don't need the ball. I don't need to be the guy directing the offense because the guy who directs the offense is the center. And if he can do that and go to a role where he can be that secondary ball handler in the offense, I think that would be perfect. And if he mentally can accept that, I think his game will come along. I think right now it's a battle between... Uh, he's not the greatest shooter, and he doesn't need to be a great shooter. He can be a cutter, kind of like Gary Harris. But he needs to be able to accept that. And if he does, I think the rest of the game will come along. Right now, I think he's battling mentally with where he is in relationship with where the Nuggets offense is. Yeah. If you watch Chris Dunn, if you watch Chris Dunn with the Timberwolves. Love Chris Dunn coming out of college, too. If, if, you, if you put him in this spot where he, it looks to me like he accepts that other stuff is eventually going to come. Yeah. But he's going to guard the shit out of you for a little while. Yep. Yeah. I'm telling you, that's all you got to do. Right. That's all Moutier has to do. He's got to be a better defender. And that's something that you can do in advance of your shot coming around, of your yep. scoring coming around. Because having a stopper up front, that would change a lot of what – or that would cure a lot of what ails the Nuggets. Well, that's been and one that's... of the Nuggets' biggest problems this year has been perimeter defense, and specifically at the guard area. I mean, Jameer's not a good good defender. Gary Harris is not as good this year as he was last year, and I think that could be partially due to the pace the Nuggets play and their scheme. And definitely Moutier has struggled this year mightily with defending. And I think that if he, if you're right, Paul, if he can just commit to that, everything else will come because it's not, it's not there right now. Be good at what you can control right now, and then everything else will, I think will fall into place. I still feel like... I feel like Moutier focused on the wrong things in the summer. I think he tried to work on being more of a scorer when he should have worked on defense, ball handling, passing. You know, and, and it takes time for guys, like I said with Fareed, you know, I, I feel like Moutier is going to get to that point eventually where he's going to be like, oh, this is what's going to give me staying power in the NBA. It's going to be defense. It's going to be passing. It's not going to be hitting these fadeaway shots you know and that's where Fareed does I think realize some things with his game is I'm not going to be a, a jump shooter I'm going to be a force inside I'm going to be the best you know most tenacious rebounder I can be I'm going to get these junk points 
and guys, you know, young players especially don't want to limit their games, right? They're not going to just do, they want to do everything and they want to get paid and they want to be superstars. They want shoe deals. But eventually you figure out, Marvin Williams figured out what was going to give him staying power in the NBA. And it was, you know, kind of being this three and D guy for the Hornets. The, one thing I'm falling back on with Moutier too is <clears throat> look, look at his last four years. He hasn't been coached. And one of the draws that he had of going to SMU was he was recruited by a guy named Jarence Howard, who's a good friend of mine. He was going to play for Larry Brown. One reason was he wanted to stay close to home. Another reason was it's Larry Brown. Yeah. And point guards have a tendency to play really well with Larry Brown. So he was drawn to the idea of, here, I get, I'm going to be coached, because he wasn't coached in high school. He wasn't coached in China. We know that. Right. This is really the first time. So if you're feeling down about him, if you're going, man, they missed on this guy, I go back to the idea of give him a little bit more coaching, give him a little bit more time to figure out what he's doing because it wasn't like Jamal Murray. He came through a very good AU program. He went through Kentucky with Cal. They put a lot on his shoulders. He's got a very strong family support system that's kind of built a castle around him. So he's probably a little bit more advanced than Emmanuel Moutier is. So now the hope is Michael Malone and the assistants can turn him into a player or help him become a player because he hasn't exactly had that in the past. So that's, I guess, the hope that I have with him. Makes sense. Let me get two guys here before we get out of here. Is Yusuf Nurkic on this team past the deadline? Let's go at the same time, Beats. Uh, One, two, (laughs) three. three. No. 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 Is Wilson Chandler here after the deadline? It's funny. So Sam Amick comes out with a story saying that Wilson Chandler, there's two sources that are telling him Chandler wants out. Chris Dempsey gets Chandler on the record where he echoes some similarities from the Sam Amick piece but kind of says it's not really that he wants out. He just wants more consistency. I was really bummed about that. I was bummed about that because Wilson's been around here and – it's finally looking up. And this was supposedly what the older guys wanted to see, that right. they're going in the right direction. And Chandler penned that piece on Instagram where he said he wanted to be a part of the change to bring exactly. them back. Right? Nate the Great, exactly. And now all of a sudden the arrow's pointing up, and this it rubbed me wrong. You know, is he going to be here? I think he is going to be here. Should he be here? I'm a le- little less certain than before that. My feeling, I'll just say this, there's a vast difference between playing in the Nuggets' second unit than there is their first unit. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> you got Jokic. So, that's all I'll say. <laughs> but, I mean, since... And he's valuable, man. You can't just dismiss Wilson Chandler because he'll get you 16. And yeah. he's been, you know, so what happens, right? Like, Chandler says he wants consistency. Freed hasn't been playing. They throw Chandler back into the starting lineup after he has these comments with Dempsey. I'm guessing there had to be a discussion between perhaps Chandler and the coaching staff, you know, maybe very soon after these rumors come out, because that tend tends to be what happens. All of a sudden he's starting again. Does he continue starting when Freed comes back? I mean, you know, Malone's got a, Malone has done a pretty decent job, I think, of trying to figure this thing out and then sticking to it with, with certain guys, but injuries have played a role. 
do you start Chandler or do you start Fareed? Fareed's been brilliant next to Jokic. Mm. Chandler's been good next to Jokic. I, you know? This goes <laughs> it's a good question, man. Do I, you trade Gallinari and start Chandler at small forward and hope to bring in, you know, something better for your bench? You know, I mean that's it's just questions. If you if you trade Gallo, you'd be prepared to get nothing for him. If you trade Wilson, you'll get slightly more because just only because of his contract. It's got a little longer. You trade Fareed, you probably get even more. You trade any of them, you potentially send a signal that you aren't in really that serious about making the playoffs unless you get an upgrade. I don't think that happens, Beats. So. I don't think that happens. And maybe maybe it does, but I don't think it does because of what we saw last night. Yeah. That now there's they're invested in what's happening. I was worried about last night. Yeah. Wilson guarded. Yeah. He guarded, man. And that's the thing about him is that he's a valuable player to me. I would be more inclined, hate saying this, his buddies a Gonzaga Bulldog, I'd be more inclined to move Gallo because I think Wilson is more interchangeable with what they have right now. Those guys need to sack up. Stop worrying about if you're starting or if you're coming off the bench because you're both going to play a lot of minutes. Do you start which one? Start which one is, is going to be less of a problem. I mean, Kenneth Fareed, his value has changed entirely with the Jokic era. It's suddenly made him a guy that you want to keep. Wilson is such an ideal guy with how they're playing right now because he can hit shots everywhere. Right. So if he's going to guard like that, I'm more inclined to keep Wilson. I, I, I think Gallo is the odd man out because he wants to be a leader. Gallo can't really play off the bench either. He stinks when and he comes Gallo off the bench. And Gallo is terrible <laughs> off the bench. You do not want him coming off the bench. It is that would be. <laughs> That's funny. That's that true, isn't it? That would be. He is. He, you're better off trading him and getting him somewhere else than you are putting him on the bench. And if he ha- if he has a good night, that good night typically starts with him hitting a few shots early, right? For Gallinari. Yeah. Like he, and and Gallo, it's not Gallo's fault. It's caught up in a numbers game. Yeah, Gallo an- has been remarkably consistent, and it's you know he's not a great defender, but it's only because he, quite frankly, has injuries all up and down his body. Yeah. He cannot move anymore. So if you're gonna if you're going to quote get rid of someone, which I'm not inclined to believe, unless it's a big trade, I don't. I'm not inclined to believe they'll do anyone but Yusuf Nurkic. But if you're going to, Gallo's the guy that is going to be moved because he's caught up in a numbers game, and they clearly value. I, I hate rewarding Wilson for whining. Well, guys, we got to we got to jump out of here. Paul, do you have any last thoughts? before we leave just how much i've enjoyed this hour with you guys and i hope that we're able to do it again soon thank you for letting me uh ramble on and on and on um about weird tangential things but i appreciate you guys because this is a podcast i don't miss yeah we got to get you back in here hopefully before the season ends yeah got to get the clean for sure but yeah the old uh csg love cast love cast what do you need on this road trip this three-game road trip two and one two and one would be ideal two and one would be ideal i think it's one and two but hopefully two and one. You know. Beat the Hawks. Make Millsap think about uh, telling the Hawks to deal them here. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's Cause more problems for yeah. the team. <laughs> All right, guys. We're going to get out of here. Paul Klee, Carl Springs Gazette. You can find him at by Paul Klee on Twitter. Read his stuff. You already do if you're listening to this podcast. See you next week. Bye. Bye.